I'm going to be reading this morning from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. If you are going to use the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 969. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. And it's called the, pow- uh, the Prayer for Boldness. After they were released, Peter and John went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Consider their threats and grant that your servant may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Amen. the next we are we're going to go back to our series in acts and uh, so for two weeks and then this summer uh, I think as pastor Kevin shared with you we're going to go into a season where we'll call it voices from the church and so there's going to be folks from all over Niagara who are going to come and speak from us uh, speak to us uh, the gospel and so that's going to be a great series so we're we're uh, pausing here in chapter four the end of chapter four and I'd love to take a closer look at this. I was super inspired this week. I think there's so much practical in this for us to learn from. And so I'm really excited to dig in here. So feel free to have a Bible open in front of you, whether it's on your device or, or in print. I meet with, uh, the, there's a new LCBO here in town. I meet with the manager weekly, almost weekly, as much as we can, for discipleship conversations and he's, he's this close to wanting to give his life to Jesus. It's really exciting. It's really fun. And so we meet here, uh, and, and he's totally open about talking about stuff. He's not afraid to talk about Christianity in public. And, and so we'll often have loud conversations right here in our local Starbucks about Jesus. And, uh, and it's, a, it's actually really quite a dangerous thing to be here in Starbucks talking about Jesus. Not because we're talking about Jesus, but because coffee costs $5. My goodness, a new Starbucks in Virgil is a dangerous thing for your pocketbook. So, I I think it's amazing that we live in this country of freedom, but I have to confess to you, I catch myself in these moments walking around town with the, the book that we're reading is called The Reason for God, and 
And so I, I've, sometimes I have these moments where I'm walking around with my book and I, I think, oh, I'll, I'll just maybe turn the title in into my body so people can't really see the title. Or, or I'll think, oh, I'll put, you know, when we're talking, I'll, I'll just put my book, you know, face down so people can't see the title of my book. I don't want to create undue attention or whatever. I have these, these temptations to kind of be shy about what we're talking about, right? Like, he'll be talking really loudly about Jesus in the Starbucks, and I'm kind of like a little timid sometimes, like, oh, like, uh, can we really be, is religion really that free of a topic here? And I catch myself, and so in those moments, I'm like, I, I need to be rebellious against this little shyness that I have, and so I put my book face up on the table, and I carry it around, and I'm proud of this book that says, yeah, so it's amazing, sometimes we have these, in Canada, we have these moments where we're a little shy about our faith. Some of us, not all of us, some of us are a little shy. About I've seen Christians shy even about praying at a restaurant before a meal, right? Like, I don't know if you've felt that, but there's a little bit, something a little uncomfortable about everybody bowing our heads. My dad tells a story, him and, and some folks were praying at, at a restaurant, and so their heads were bowed, and their hands were folded, and their heads were bowed, and the waitress came and kind of looked at them for a little bit and said, is there something wrong with your meals, right? They're all inspecting their meals closely or something. No, we're just praying. So sometimes I think as Christians we feel a little shy about our faith, but that is far from the truth of these disciples we, we just heard about in chapter 4. Peter and John are in the temple. That's like the center for, for Jewish faith. And here they are in this sect of Judaism that is already starting to, to draw negative attention. And then, and then just as a review, Peter and John, the power of God flows through them. And there's this man who uh, maybe has been paraplegic or we're not exactly sure, but crippled somehow uh, well known to the community there. And the power of God through these two dis- apostles raises him up and heals him completely. And so, so he's dancing around in, in the temple and people are like, we know this guy. I pass by him all the time. And here he is walking around, standing, shouting, praising. And of course, because of the fact that their leader, Jesus, was just put to death not long before, they really, the leaders, the religious leaders, really want to do away with Christianity. And so they call Peter and John before them before the Sanhedrin. And the, the, the disciples then experience this major setback because they say, uh, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus at all. Like, we'll let you go right now because everybody loves that this guy was healed. Otherwise, we'd kill you if we could. But we're going to let you go because of public opinion here. But you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. So they experience this major setback. Like, now what are they going to do? They're, I can imagine Peter and John feeling quite discouraged. They're, it's a real blow to their confidence. But by the end of our passage here in chapter 4, all the way to verse 31, if you look at verse 31, we see that boldness returns to them. And that it's actually a gift from God. So, so God gifts them boldness again. Verse 31 says, And... And they began to speak the word of God boldly. And I love that word. The word here, uh, it is our word boldly, but, it, but 
the dictionary said it means free and fearless confidence. Free, you're just free and you're fearless in your confidence. And then, and then this one, it means cheerful courage. It's not nice. The word cheerful attached to it. Cheerful courage. They're, they're encouraged. They have assurance. And so God gives them this gift of fearless confidence and cheerful courage. Give, he gives them boldness to speak and teach in his name. And I think there's a pattern here as we look. How does this happen? How, what are the steps that happen in this passage where God then grants them this boldness again? What are the things, what are the ways, what are the gifts that God gives us to renew our confidence, to renew our courage? And so firstly, we, God gives us people through boldness, through knowing that we have partners in the faith. Peter and John, they, they go straight back to their own people. The CSB says their own people, I think. And, and other translation says back to their friends. And the Greek just says back to their own. They go back to their own. Like these are their people. And the commentators suggest that this isn't, you know, as we know, the church has been growing rapidly already. Like 3,000 people were added to their number, right? Like it's growing crazy. But commentators are saying they didn't go back to this mass assembly of 3,000 people. They went back to probably the place that we're staying and their small group of close, trusted friends who are partners in the gospel with them. And so this is a part of how God encourages us and gives us courage. When we've experienced a setback, there's nothing like knowing that there is a small group of people who have your back, right? Here they come back and they share, they're able to share everything that just happened. And we know that this group listens intently after they had heard what they said. So there's this beautiful piece of community. There's great encouragement and faith. When you know that you have partners in the gospel who are committed to living out the gospel with you, who are committed to following Jesus with you. This is not a small group of friends like we see in the show Friends that's now airing again. I don't know if you know that show Friends. Lots of people do. It's airing again on Netflix, so now multiple generations get to see these friends living out sexual freedom among each other. And this is not the type of friendship that the Bible's talking about. And this is not the type of small groups that we're talking about. This is not only about friendship. You can find friendship anywhere. This is about partnership in the gospel. These people are together because they're about the name of Jesus and what Jesus is doing in and through them. So that is what this small group, the support of the small group is. And so we believe really strongly, I want to say at Cornerstone, we believe really strongly in this, that, that it's, this is actually part of God's plan for the church to bring his people encouragement and courage in the gospel is to have people that you're committed together to, going, to reading the word of God, to praising his name, to praying together, to do these things together, to support one another in the gospel. And so if you are not part of that, or if you don't have that in your life, we, we're, we know, we understand that people have that outside of Cornerstone. We do, we do make small groups for you if, you if you want to be part of that as well. And if you're not part of a, a smaller group, we call them life groups here. I would encourage you to sign up because this is part of God's plan for the encouragement of his people. That we would be together in partnership. 
And so I encourage you to sign up. Again, you can use one of those cards in front of you. You can drop it off if you're interested in getting connected to a small group. So firstly, partnership. It's huge for them. They run back to their own and they share what's going on. Secondly, after listening to Peter and John, what do the disciples do? Not a rhetorical question. Pray. Very next step is prayer. Secondly, so firstly is partnership. Secondly is prayer. As we see here in verses 24 right through 30 now, this is actually the longest prayer recorded in the book of Acts. And I think we need to see that as something significant, that Luke wanted us to learn something. Why would you write out a whole prayer for your readers unless it was significant? And so Luke, I think, believes... I believe that Luke has written this out for us because there's something for us to even learn in this prayer. Not only that they prayed, he could have said that, but how they prayed. And so I want to pick that apart a little bit for us. How did these disciples pray together? And first, the first part of the prayer is reminiscent of several Old Testament passages and quotes, uh, not exactly, but indirectly quotes the Old Testament. But it focuses on the sovereignty of God. They begin, their, they begin their prayer by answering the question, who is God? And then later in the prayer, they answer the question, and who are we because of who God is? So this is what I believe ongoing repentance is in our lives. Repentance is this word named metanoia. It means to change your mind and then change your will, which then, of course, will, if you really change your mind of something, then your behavior is going to change. So it means changing your mind. And what, what we see here in this model prayer that Luke gives to us is this, we start with who God is. And so the call is to change your mind about who God is. And we need to do this regularly. So their prayer starts with the sovereignty of God. It's really important. And then later, they go on to recognize who they are in light of who God is. It's a very important Christian discipline. And so let's look again at verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Now, the word master here is a word that is not often used of God. Uh, there's a different word that comes later in this passage. This word is despotase. And it is where we get our English word despot. Like, this is a not, not, in English it's not a very favorable word, but it's a very strong word. It's a word that's reserved in the Bible because it's such a strong word. This is, means that he has supreme authority and power over all created things. This is who we serve. This is, they start their prayer off by recognizing that God has supreme and ultimate power. He's absolutely sovereign. My dad and I visited Erica Friesen this week. She's in the hospital. Uh, this past weekend, she was admitted. She has a little growth. So I'm saying this also so you as a church can be praying for her. She has a growth on, their, on her lung, one of her lungs. They're not sure what it is. Uh, it could be one of two things. She also has a lung infection. So they don't know if the infection is from the lump or if the lump is from the infection. Does that make sense? So they're starting her off on... Uh, a course of IV anti 
biotics to see if that's going to shrink this lump first. So my dad and I visited her this Tuesday, and we had to gown up because it's the infectious, you know, disease quarters. And that is hard to do pastoral ministry with latex gloves, a gown, and a mask on. Like, try to be, like, really sensitive and caring and laying hands on somebody with latex. It's not very nice. And there she is. We go to encourage her. And we're sitting there, and the first things, the first words out of her mouth was, aren't God's plans wonderful? What? What? The more we talk with her, all she's talking about is God's sovereignty. That God's plans are perfect. That God knows everything, and no matter what happened, no, no matter what happens in life, God is going to take evil, or take bad, or take sin, and will turn it into good. And then she tells us stories about how she's been in the hospital in the past, and how she, she just prayed to God while she was in the hospital, and, and God helped her preach the gospel to a bunch of different people. So that was her whole purpose. She believes her purpose to be in the hospital is God wants her to share the word of God. It's incredible. And so to be honest with you, my dad and I, we went to encourage her. We walked away probably way more encouraged than she was in our faith. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that this is because her prayers probably start with the sovereignty of God. This is because she focuses on knowing that her God is master over everything. So, a, a little for you theologians in, in the audience, I, I do want to say that whether you're Calvinist or Arminian, we all believe in the sovereignty of God. That God is in charge. That God, God's purposes will not be thwarted. So this is where the disciples start. They start with who is God. God is master over all things. He doesn't miss a beat. Like our scripture this morning, he does not slumber and he does not sleep. He doesn't miss anything. And so who is God? And that gives us free and fearless confidence when we know that God's plans will not be thwarted, that he's in ultimate control. We can put our lives in his hands. Now, it doesn't mean that everything is going to go perfectly as we would plan it. But we trust that God's plans are for our good and for his glory. So so secondly here, 2A was sovereignty of God. 2B is the scriptural foundation. Where does this idea come from? We see it right here in their prayer. They go directly to scripture. This is not just willy-nilly. Our ideas about God aren't just willy-nilly. They're not just how we feel about God or what we wish God would be like. We don't pray in those terms. We pray according to how God really is and how we, how we know that is through the Scripture. And so even in our prayers, we bring in scriptural truth about who God is, and that's how we pray. And so that these disciples, they bring in this Scripture from Psalm 2. And we see right away it says, it gives us their... their a philosophy about scripture too because it says that they know that david's the author david authored this but it was inspired by the holy spirit and so these early disciples had a very high view of scripture this is not some dusty history book for them this is not uh, a book of fairy tales for them for these disciples this is god's word breathed out by the holy spirit for them for that day 
for those events that were happening. They were reading in these scriptures that God is breathing fresh inspiration to them. So they have this high view of scripture. Psalm 119.11, some of you have memorized this, but I have treasured your word in my heart. Treasured your word in my heart. Do you treasure the word of God? Do you treasure it in your heart? Do you store it up so that it's handy when it needs to be? So that when you have major setbacks in life, there's scripture ready for you? Do you hide it in your heart? Do you focus on it? Do you meditate on it? Do you dig a hole in your heart and bury it there so that one day it's ready for you? They believed that it was God's inspired word and they hid it in their hearts. So in a moment like this, Psalm 2 was right there for them. This is like Psalm 2 when David said this by the inspiration of the Spirit. Have you hidden the word of God in your heart? So this is how the disciples trust that God's sovereign because they believe the word of God is inspired by God. It's God's word to them. And the word of God tells us that God is sovereign. And so this is something that we can trust and believe. And then to see under this prayer, not only they start with the sovereignty of God and they base it on the, in the scripture, then we see their self-identity as servants. In verse 29a, verse 29 again now, now we change the word from, from master to lord. And this is the word curios. And lord was somebody who was in charge of a household, uh, in charge of a farm, like in charge of uh, a bunch of workers. And all those workers or servants would be living on a compound that they would own. You know, it's not that dissimilar to some of our farmers here in Niagara-on-the-Lake who own a lot of land and have people working for them. And they are the Lord. Now, it's a little different because this is employment in today's world. And back then, you were um, just getting square meals a day and a roof over your head. This was servanthood back then. It's a little bit more like Downton Abbey. And God is upstairs and the disciples are downstairs. That's how that works. God is up, And they knew that. They knew they were downstairs people. And that's what they call themselves. They're like, Lord, you're in charge. We are your servants. This is really important for us to wrap our heads around because I think it's hard for us as North Americans to actually conceive of, to actually live into in our hyper-individualistic, democratic society. We don't like this idea that somebody's in charge of us. We want to be autonomous. We want to be making our own decisions. But the question here is if God is your master, if Jesus is your master and your Lord, and you are the servant, then isn't he in charge of your whole life? Is he not in charge of your finances? Is he not in charge of your daily decisions? Is he not in charge of your relationships? So that's what we're faced with here as these disciples say, we're your servants. We're challenged today. Do we have a relationship with Christ that's like that? Do we recognize that he's in charge of everything? Or is Jesus an add-on? Are we in charge and he's the servant? Sometimes we pray that way. God, would you do this for me? God, would you do that for me? God, this is my plans. Will you bless them? And I think our prayers need to shift to recognize that God 
is the master. We are the servants. Lord, what is your will for us today? What are you doing so we can join you in what we're doing? So that's the third piece there under prayer. Sovereignty of God, scriptural foundation. And then our self-identity as servants. And then out of that identity, you think it's hard for us to think that that actually gives us, is life-giving or gives us freedom. But what we see is it gives this incredible purpose. When we understand who God is and who we are, we understand our true purpose. And when we find our purpose and our calling in life, it gives us great courage. It gives us a cheerful kind of courage. So, just quick review. The first way that God gifts us with courage is through partnership. The second way is through prayer. And, and this beautiful outline of prayer for us. Thirdly, comes through a new purpose. Take a look at verse 29 again. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. And now consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. You know what I would have prayed for? I would have prayed for safety. I would have prayed for security. I would have prayed for my own comfort. I pray that way a lot. And I think it's probably because I'm North American. I don't know if you pray that way a lot. I've heard people pray for travel mercies. I don't even know. I'm not sure what that is. What is travel mercies? I think it has to do with safety and security. Now, is it wrong to pray for safety? No. We saw in, our, in, our, in the psalm this morning that we can, we can trust that the Lord is going to keep us safe. We can trust that within his plans and his sovereignty that he is going to be watching out for us. But these disciples here, that is not the first and foremost thing on their mind. They pray, God, would you notice what's going on? Why? So that we can be bold about your witness. Now, I am not like that. That's not usually my prayers. I don't know about you. I invite you to to take a second look at what we're called to as Christians. What is our calling? What is our purpose? They were passionate about evangelism, and it was just outlawed. I would have been like, if I just knew that the government said, no talking about Jesus, I'd be like, okay, faith is private. No problem. We'll meet, you know, in these private little spaces and talk about Jesus. And they're like, no, it's not good enough, Lord. This is, this is a public word. We need to be spreading the name of Jesus. And so, God, you need to do something about this. Because that's our purpose. We know what we're about. We know our highest calling. It's to announce the gospel and make disciples. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you clear on your purpose? Are you clear on your calling as a Christ follower? Do you know what you're supposed to be living into? Do you know what it looks like to make disciples? Do you know what it looks like to be open about your faith? I want you to consider that this morning. When we are, I believe... God grants us incredible confidence and courage in our faith. I think the opposite of is also true. When we're not sure about that calling, when we're not living into that calling, I think we don't have a lot of confidence or courage in our faith. When we're not sure about our calling as Christians, when we're not living into making disciples, then I think our faith is often not courageous and we suffer. 
And so as we live into our purpose, God grants us and gifts us with confidence and a cheerful courage in our faith. I like that word cheerful courage, and I just want to take a little bit moment there because I, I know Pastor Kevin has said this before, but this boldness that we're, we're talking about is not brashness. This is not offensive because your personality is offensive. It might be offensive because the gospel is offensive, but it's not because you're an offensive person. That's why this beautiful word boldness, this, this translation is cheerful courage, right? Somebody who's courageous, but they're cheerful in it. They're not an offensive type of a person. So this cheerful courage comes when we understand our purpose. Fourthly, God grants his people confidence. Take a look at verse 30. And courage, he grants us that as we expect demonstrations of his power. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The disciples are, are willing, ready. They're ready to move forward and boldly proclaiming because they know and trust that the power of God is accompanying them. That the power of God is coming alongside as they are boldly professing. God meets them there. They've seen it. If, they, if some of these people weren't walking alongside Jesus, the ones who were walking alongside Jesus have seen this already. They can trust it. They know it. But the ones who just became Christians, they maybe didn't see Jesus do these things. Some of them did, but they sure just saw it happen through Peter and John, right? They saw the power of God at work. And that gave them incredible confidence and cheerful courage. I've got to admit to you that sometimes I long for more of that. I want to see more. If we're talking about naked miracles of something, somebody who's... Uh, disabled in some way or i have seen one in my life i want to see way more than that i want to see way more than that but it comes along with the boldness and the courage of preaching the gospel and they expect it they expect that god's power is coming alongside now these big dramatic miracles that happened in the 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 early church of course we want to see more of that but i think also see these things are signs they're not for the purpose in and of themselves yes they're a mercy of god in this person's life but they're actually a sign to point to who jesus is and so yes big signs are amazing i want to see more of that but sometimes there's little signs so with my buddy bruce this little thing i sometimes am tempted to put my book down face down so people can't see that we're talking about god as if they couldn't hear us and so i put my book face up and we're chatting one time in Starbucks, and these sometimes there's little signs for people. And so we're talking about God. By the end of the conversation, I'm like, I just need to go to the bathroom before we wrap up. And as I'm walking away, there's this other gentleman who comes over. He looks uh, Caribbean, has that kind of an accent. And he comes over and says, I just noticed what you're reading and heard you guys chatting. And, uh, and it's not a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. And it's actually my birthday today, so I think maybe a higher power is like giving me a little birthday present. And I just want to know what you're reading. Like, is it good? Is it really inspiring you? And I'm kind of walking away, and I'm like, I'm going to let Bruce handle this one. And so Bruce is like, yeah, yeah, it is. He's like, is it changing you? <laughs> Bruce is like, uh, yeah, I think, I think it is, actually. 
So he's like, that's weird. I go to the bathroom. I come back out. There's another younger Hispanic-looking family, and the guy is now engaging him, and he's saying, I just couldn't help but overhear your conversation and see the book that you're reading, and I used to be a pastor's kid, but I fell away from the church, and now I feel like God's doing something in my heart. So I just want to encourage you on your journey, man. I just want to encourage you on your journey. Bruce is like, okay, thanks. So we walk out. We walk out, and i got to tell you, again, this is Bruce. He's not fully, you know, if, if there is a line, I'm not sure he's crossed it yet, but he's like, we walk out, and he looks at the sky, and he's like, okay already, I get it. I get it. And so these, there's sometimes little signs. I'm even good with little signs like that, that point to Jesus, right? So, Lord, would you do more as you give us a boldness to declare your word? Would you accompany it? with signs and wonders showing who you are. So fifthly, and lastly, you thought this was a three-point sermon. No way. We're going five. We're going five today. Fifthly, lastly, we see that God is answering the disciples' prayer here in verse 31. So we see power. They, they just expect power to accompany. And now we see presence. Let's read 31 again. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Wow. Now, when we're good theologians, we say that God is omnipresent. God is always present. We believe that. But there is something that theologians talk about called manifest presence. Manifest, being made known either to our eyes or our senses. There's something tangible that happens in the room, and this is what we're reading. You might think Matt's becoming a charismatic. No, I'm just reading the Bible. Something tangible happens in the room. It gets shaken. That is manifest. God's powerful presence is made manifest to these disciples. We have 2,000 years of incredible theology. I have more theology on my phone than theologians who are writing commentaries had in their whole libraries. We have access to incredible information. Is this information transforming lives? Is good theology changing people? I want to humbly suggest that it's the presence of God that transforms people. So even when we're chatting, Bruce and I are chatting in the Starbucks, I'm praying the whole time because I can't convince him of these things. I'm not eloquent enough. It's the Holy Spirit's presence that's going to change this guy. It's going to draw him to Jesus. And so that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that... Bruce has a tangible encounter with God. And so these little signs along the way, when he's shouting in the, at the heavens, stop already. I believe that that's the Holy Spirit just drawing him, drawing him, drawing him. Good theology is so important. But it has to be balanced with the presence of God. Good theology apart from presence is powerless. It's powerless. We need good theology. I love theology. I'm reading an 800-page 
book from N.T. Wright on the resurrection right now. I love theology. But apart from the presence of God, it's powerless. We need good theology, but we need the presence of God. Now, when we go chasing the presence of God apart from good theology, we get ourselves in deep water because often we're chasing power for selfish reasons. And so we need good theology to balance our search for the presence of God. Here's what J.I. Packer, a theologian I do respect, says, the first and fundamental feature in revival is the sense that God has drawn awesomely near in His holiness, mercy, and might. God comes, visits, and draws near to His people and makes His majesty known. A.W. Tozer talks about this and he says, why do some people uh, get, have these experiences and some Christians don't? Why do some Christians have these powerful experiences with God and some don't? And then he says, it's not a difference. God wants the same for all his people. The difference is not in God. The difference is in us. Do we have a spiritual receptivity for God's powerful presence? Do we have a hunger for it? This is what Tozer's saying. I can blame it on him. Do we have a spiritual receptivity? For the presence of God. He says, I, this is what Tozer says, I want the presence of God himself or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has or I don't want any. Is that true of you this morning? Is that your heart? Do you long for the powerful presence of God in your life? Is that part of your prayer life? Do you want him to transform you more into boldness as you've experienced setbacks in your life. I know some of you personally, we could talk about the setbacks that you've experienced, whether it's health, whether it's, whether it's relationships. You've experienced major setbacks. Have they caused you to shrink back in your faith? Have they challenged your faith to the point where you're now shy about it? Do you need encouragement? Do you need God to, to gift you with cheerful courage. Let's pray together. This morning, Heavenly Father, that is my prayer. I know that's on the hearts of many of us in this room. Is if it's not you, we don't want it. If you're not in this, we want nothing to do with religion. What we're seeking is you. We want your presence. We want who you are. Lord, some of us have, have lost faith. We've lost courage in our faith. We've, we've taken steps back in sharing the gospel. We, we don't know what it's like, the thrill of, of watching somebody come to faith in our conversations. We want that, though, Lord. Would you give us great courage? Would you give us cheerful courage again? Would you renew that by your presence? Would you visit Cornerstone Church? Would you draw near us in a new, fresh way? Would you make yourself tangibly known so that your gospel goes even further? Would you give us courage so that we might say more and more people see people saying yes to you and following you? Like we've prayed so many times before, would you fill our baptism tank because you've given us a cheerful courage to spread your good news? 
God, would you do these things? We trust in you. Would you transform us even this morning as we continue in worship? Pray these things for Jesus' fame and his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to move into our connection time. And uh, I do see coffee. Coffee is still happening this week. Parents of children, whether you're K to all the way to 8, there has been a fire drill this morning. And, uh, and so there, your children will be outside on the front lawn. And you will need to go retrieve them from the front lawn. And then please come back together, grab yourself a coffee, and have a conversation. Maybe say hi to somebody you don't normally say hi to. And we'll meet back here in just a few minutes for worship together through music.